welcome to the Next Level Life podcast. I'm your host, Christine Corcoran, founder of Periscope Coaching, qualified business and life coach, Edis profiler and speaker. The Next Level Life podcast is all about taking your life and business to the next level. Each episode is designed to open up your mind to a new perspective and inspire you to live your life with purpose and passion. Each week, I will endeavor to bring you a new episode with a thought, insight or interview with an inspiring thought leader or successful business owner to help you push past your fears and inspire your soul. Ready to get started? Let's go. Welcome to episode 35 of the Next Level Life podcast, Conscious Communications with Mary Shores. Our special guest is an award-winning Hay House author, international speaker, and CEO of a debt collection company with an amazing story. This entrepreneur spends her career as an author, international speaker, generating positive and pragmatic solutions for people who are freaking out. Mary blends personal experience with her extensive knowledge of neuroscience and human behavior to guide businesses and individuals to defeat the freak out and create their ideal life. Mary's success as a business owner and a human being is hinged on one vital concept, having absolute clarity about the outcome. As the CEO of a collection agency, a company she founded at just 24 years of age, she found herself asking herself the question, what outcome do I really want? She realized that it wasn't making a ton of money or being a hotshot. All she wanted was for the next person she spoke to on the phone to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the start. On today's episode, we talk all about harnessing the power of our words for powerful communications, how to use her cleanse and clog technique to make better decisions, understanding how our decision-making could be creating connections or driving a disconnection, identifying the core four aspects of your business to remove distractions and keep you on track towards your path and your mission, the missing key when it comes to alignment, the value in making mistakes, using affirmations as as a self-programming method, and her top tips for getting published with Hay House. So I hope you enjoy today's incredible episode, and there is a free gift. If you jump onto the show notes, you'll find the link to download her free guidebook, which is her companion course for conscious communications. You'll find all the details and everything we talked about in the show notes. So please enjoy today's episode. So welcome to the next episode of the Next Level Life podcast. I have a special guest, an international guest by the name of Mary Shores, who is a Hay House author and a CEO of a collection agency who has an amazing story. So I just want to welcome you to the podcast, Mary. Thank you, Christine. And it is my absolute pleasure to be here. Awesome. So for those of you who don't know you, would you mind just starting with a little bit of a backstory, a little bit of a story about how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I, you know, I like to talk about sometimes my early childhood. So while I was always very entrepreneurial in early childhood, um, I actually went through some hard times. And when I was a teenager, I was out on my own at 16. And this was just very interesting to sort of be this young adult trying to figure out an adult world with no resources and really very little guidance whatsoever. So I still managed to graduate high school, but shortly after that, I actually became pregnant. And so I became a teenage mother, but 
I had, my child was born with a severe brain damage. So she lost oxygen to the brain for more than five minutes um, at birth. And what that looks like is that she was blind. She was deaf. She was um, unable to suck a bottle or swallow because she didn't even have a swallow reflex. So she had to have a, a tube inserted into her stomach surgically so that she could be fed. And she lived for a year and a half. But like, you have to remember that I was 19 and 20 years old during this time. And I mean, I I don't like looking back, I don't even know how I got through it. And when I look at the pictures, it's just such a, I mean, I just look gone in such a state of post-traumatic stress. So she passed away after a year and a half. And I think that really, I don't think I understood because I was so young that she was always terminal. Like, I don't think it was actually until I started writing the book and I was revisiting some of those things from my past where I realized like she was always terminal, that her lifespan, her lifespan was going to be dictated because of her brain injury. And so, um, you know, when you're, when you're that age and you're living in and out of the children's hospital and sleeping on the emergency room floor, you know, it, it really, um, shapes who you become Mm. because you see things that you can never, ever see again. And, um, so after that I did go on to recover and started my first business when I was only 24 years old. And so I think that people get really fascinated into like, how did I, how did I overcome such a challenge and then turn around and start this business at, at such a young age? And not only that, but build it for a period of, of 20 years. So that's a little bit about where I came from. And I know it's sad to hear, but like one of the very, one of the the biggest principles in my book and in my talks is like really teaching people that your stories don't matter as much as you think they are. And one of the keys to getting where you want to go is to loosen the grip on the stories we tell ourselves from the past. Because the story you tell yourself about yourself becomes your identity. And it's just so important to understand that the most empowering part of the story, the most beautiful part of the story is in the moments when you figured out how to move on. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, definitely. And I think people do really hold on to their stories. And I think it's, it's such sometimes can be a really strong grip and I think some people need to be aware of the fact that letting it go doesn't mean that it changes anything. It doesn't make it less of importance. It doesn't make it less of the impact that it had on you, but it doesn't change it holding onto it either. So it, all, all it's doing is actually holding you back from moving forward. So yeah, it's, that must've been really difficult to overcome. Do you, how did it, you go it about? Was really Sorry, go on. Oh, it's okay. It was really difficult, but I, I would also say that it was very strengthening and character building. And yeah, just like it shapes who you are, but it could also be something that would turn someone into a victim. 
Mm. Oh, 100%. So did you find that there was a turning point where you decided to change that story or was there a, a moment in time where you were like, I'm going to not even associate with that or what was the turning point? Well, I would say that with my daughter, you know, it's a different, it's a different sort of tragedy when, so losing a child that's healthy and, and living and happy and, and, you know, that you can watch grow and develop is that is a tragedy that, you know, I can't imagine any mother going through because my child was in a lot of pain and suffering and she was having a lot of surgeries and she was off, you know, uh, there was times she was on life support with, you know, full equipment types of things. So it's not the same thing, you know, as losing another child. So I think that, I think that I just accepted the circumstances. I accepted them. And when she passed away, I, I really understood that, um, that that was something that happened and it was unfortunate, but I guess I just didn't, um, let it sink me. You know, I was sinking me in areas that perhaps I wasn't really aware of because I was just too young to have that level of self-awareness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how did then you become to the point where you wanted to buy or start a collection agency? Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I think a lot of people always want to know, like, why did you start a business at such a young age? And to be honest, it didn't come because like I had all these like ambitions. It sort of came because I felt like I was a loser and I felt like, I felt like, um, no one would hire me. And so, because I hadn't finished college and a lot of my peers, you know, had, had a college degree and I went to college and I did fairly well, but I didn't finish it. So I think I had a little bit of hangups. You know, we have these, like what I call in the book, I call them barrier beliefs, which is just like when you allow some belief system you have to create a barrier in your life. And so in my case, it was like, well, I'm probably not going to get paid what I'm worth. So I might as well just have my own business and, um, might as well, (laughs) might as well. (laughs) It was really, it was really that matter of fact, like, Oh, might as well. And, um, the opportunity that I got to have a business was in the collection business. So my parents had ran a collection agency. So when I was growing up, you know, I was involved when I say involved, I mean like my job was to lick the stamps and lick the envelopes. This was not executive level training that I was receiving, but you know, when you're 24, you feel kind of invincible, right? So I thought that being the official, you know, CEO of stamp licking (laughs) meant that I meant that I was like capable of running a business. And so, yeah, but you know, in those early days, I just, I had my opportunity. I started the company. I, I really just did all of the things that came in on my desk that day. So whatever needed to be done, I I just did it. And eventually I grew and, you know, anyway, I think that that part of the story is actually kind of boring, but I think that what makes it interesting is like, how does this person, you know, like how does this person like operate this collection agency and claims that it's the most unique collection agency on the planet. So right away, like I didn't, um, 
I didn't really want a collection agency that operated under the same tactics as all the other ones, because I really thought that there was a lot of negativity and a lot Mm. of um, bullying and shame and unworthiness being spread in the collections industry. So I decided to take a sales approach, but that didn't really work either because you'd think it would work, but it didn't work. Um, Because you know why it didn't work? Because it doesn't hit the root of the problem when it comes to people Mm. in debt. And the root of the problem is that debt is this thing where we attach this negative stigma to it. And like, if we have a debt, we are unworthy. So my mission soon became that I want people to feel good about paying their debt because having a debt is a psychological burden. It's one of those barriers that gets in between people and living the life of their dream. And it's just really so interesting what happens when you ask your brain a question. So I literally, one day I looked at the phone and I said, how can I make the next person who calls happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning of the call? And that moment literally changed my life. Because what happened in the weeks and months and years after that, what led me to building this communication strategy that I developed, which is all about um, customer service and how, how you can create customers and clients that you build such rapport and trust with that they will have a loyalty with you that's like unmatched and you are, you are really immune from your competition. Mm, yeah, amazing. And I see that you um, really work on harnessing the power of words to do that. So obviously understanding how language affects our, um, our beliefs and our thoughts and obviously our feelings. So tell me a little bit about how you developed um, or how you used words that work your system that you created for your customer service team and how that impacted everything. So I recognized that when people had a debt, they were stressed out and that a lot of times when business, the way we react to things is because we have triggered our fight or flight. And so there's actually words that work. It's super easy. It's like three rules and three steps. And I don't want to, I don't want to make the show a training program, but I'll just give you like a really fun brief overview. So one of the secrets to my success is having a do not say list And I share that list in the book, of course, but it's words like no, not, can't, won't, however, and unfortunately. So if you think about it for a moment, I mean, how do you feel when you get an email and the first word is like, unfortunately? (laughs) Yeah, not good. (laughs) It just makes you sink, you know, because you're having a physical reaction because you know that no good news is going to come after that word, right? So, (laughs) you know, I guess... The biggest part of conscious communications and words that work and all in my second book, The Communication Code, is understanding that everything you say, everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every choice you make, every action you take in the thinnest sliced moments of life is either creating a deeper connection or it's driving a disconnection. Mm. So in business... This is very true. Everything you do is either creating a connection to what you want or it's driving a disconnection. Mm, totally. And so how do you feel that, that your relationship with obviously the collection agency and then obviously seeing your parents with it as well, how do you feel that that's shaped your beliefs around money? Well, do you want me to be like totally honest? Yes. Because you might not like, you might not like my answer. <laughs> so 
money is a made up thing. It's not, it's not a real thing, right? It's only real because we as humans believe in money. It's sort of like, what if we're all just on the planet giant playing this giant game of monopoly? (laughs) Totally. Right. Right. And then like, how do you win at the game of monopoly? You have to bankrupt all the other players. (laughs) That's not very cool. Is it? (laughs) So money is this made up thing and we sort of, you know, we need, it, it has a function, right? But we become so, driven by it that, um, you know, people get, I mean, it gets to the point where people commit suicide over money, people commit crimes over money. And so I think it's just very important. My own relationship with money, I think is very healthy. I plan on someday. I want to write a book called, um, debt detox. That's like a future book down the road because I want to really dive into this, like the psychology behind money and the psychology behind debt and to understand like, when people get into a debt, there's all kinds of reasons for it. I mean, reasons from bad financial planning to a lack of lack of financial education to sometimes even our governments encourage us to overspend because they want to boost the economy. I mean, here yeah. in the U.S., when we were going through the financial crisis, the message from the government was the best thing you can do to support the country right now is spend. Wow. But guess what they were spending? They were spending money they didn't have. Mm. Full on. Yeah. I can imagine how that would turn things backwards. (laughs) So tell me over the 20 years of of being an entrepreneur yourself, what do you feel some of the the best habits that you've had that's made you successful? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because I know that you have an audience full of young entrepreneurs who are starting out their journey. And it's, I'm very passionate about sharing these messages. And so I really want to say that, and this is coming from, you know, I've built a a $40 million company. And so I really want to say to people who are just starting out, one of the most important things that you can do is understand the difference between a need and a want. Okay. Because here's the thing, when you start off your business and you know, for, for me, for the first couple of years, I wasn't making any money and you can be sort of desperate because I mean, there was a time that my daycare cost me more than the money that I was bringing in from my business. And you have to be in it for the long game. Do you Mm. know what, what I mean by that? Not the short term. You have to be in it for the long game. So I'm sure if I was a football coach, I could explain that better, but I'm not. (laughs) So understanding the difference between a need versus a want is like, I need transportation. I don't need a Mercedes, you know? So if I sometimes we'll have a really good year in our business and maybe we make more money, maybe we make three times more money than the amount of money we made before. Well, we can, we can start letting that go to our heads where we start accumulating material things that we really don't need. Hmm. And what comes with those material things is an attachment to money that you now owe. And it would always be smarter to take that money that you made and reinvest it right back into your business and really keep your, keep your living within your means. So for example, so when I had had my business for about, I don't know, 12 years and the financial crisis hit really hard, um, I had to cut my salary in half 
And this went down. I mean, that's a significant amount of money, but I made a commitment to my employees that I wasn't going to lay anyone off. But because I had always had a practice of living within my means and even well below my means, I actually wasn't affected very much by the cut in salary. Mm, yeah, massive. And that's a huge sacrifice on your part just to make sure that the business is working for you as well, like working outside of you. So do you kind of, when you think about yourself as an entrepreneur, do you see yourself as your business or do you see it as an outside entity? Oh my gosh, you know, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. There's been plenty of times when I've seen myself as the business and there's really no separation. In fact, I've often talked about, I, and I don't know if you have children, Christine, but I've also, I've often talked about like the parallels of running a business versus the, the, like the similarities of raising a child because you are birthing that business. You are bringing that business into, into, uh, existence and you are fully 100% responsible for that business and where you're taking it and, and its development and, and all of those pieces. But then as I got more and more into it, and especially when life started transitioning to, you know, wanting to write the book, um, what I, what I needed to do was rely on the infrastructure that I had built over all of the years so that I could have that freedom. So just like when you're just like when that little child starts to become 20, it's about time to get them out of the nest. Yeah. You know, it's time to, it's time to sort of let it have its own life. And so that would be another piece of advice that I would really give to entrepreneurs is that you want to document things in your business from day one. And what I'm talking about is that you want to have written work instructions for every single process in your business. And this is so very important. And it is something that will save you because sometime in your journey of having a business, you're going to go through a personal crisis that is going to emotionally check you out of your business. And you don't need to lose your business because you're going through a divorce or a sickness or a death in the family or, or, you know, whatever. So this is one of the reasons I see small businesses fail all the time is because they don't have an infrastructure in place. They kind of just run things by the day by day and they don't have documentation of their processes. But then what happens is someone goes through a hard time or they lose it. They lose a key employee and then, then everything breaks down. Mm. I'm sure you've done business before with a company where you can just totally tell that they have so many wrenches in their well-oiled machine that things are just breaking down all over the place. Mm. And the way that you can protect yourself from that is to have written documentation of everything you do, because that will be, you know, Tony Robbins says, are you working on your business or in your business? In other words, are you like just another employee with a job or are you really the puppet master orchestrating and, and making sure that all of the pieces run? So when you're the leader, you know, yes, you want to lead by example. And yes, all of these things are important. And, you know, I myself have managed to build what I believe is the greatest workforce that anyone could ever ask for in my staff. But I haven't done that, Christine, because I've always been like the best leader. I haven't done that because I made the best decisions every time ever. I haven't built this workforce because I'm the nicest and most friendliest boss. I've built this super workforce because my business is built on a mission. And so that's my next piece of advice is like, 
have a mission driven business that is creating impact in the world. Mm. Which is so important in this day and age. You know, there's not any company out there that isn't actually focused on being able to know the person behind the scenes. Whereas years ago, you would have a face of the company and it would be, you know, imagery, but you wouldn't actually know who the actual CEO was. Whereas now you can really see that playing out. And also in Australia at the moment, it's really cool to see that even like the big top banks are bringing in personal development talk. Like it's really interesting. Like one of our ads at the moment on TV is you need to talk to yourself to know what you want before we can help you. Because if you come to us, because when you know what you want, we then can help you. And it was, it's really interesting to see that real shift in business at the moment here in Australia. It's cool. You know, and I think we're seeing that shift everywhere because all of a sudden it's, it's more important than ever to have a business that is focused on moving the human race forward, Mm. you know, so being humanitarian plus more than we're being humanitarian minus, because we all know the McDonald's of the world that, you know, that are really moving us backwards, not forwards. Mm, Totally, totally. So is there anything when it comes to business that you wish, obviously it's been so many years that you wish back then when you were 24 starting that you wish you you knew that you know now? That's such a great question. I think that um, I wish that I would have known everything was going to be okay. You know, I spent a lot of time stressing. I, I spent a lot of time stressing. I can't say that I made major, major mistakes because because all of the things that I did that were erroneous at the time definitely paid off because every mistake that you ever make you're going to learn from that. And it's going to like, say you make a mistake and it costs you a hundred thousand dollars. That hundred thousand dollar mistake is going to save you a million dollars in the future. And so it's really hard for me to look back and, and, but, but what I want to tell the audience is that your mistakes are extremely valuable, more valuable than they feel in the moment. Because when you make a mistake, Um, you know, when you're the boss, you don't have someone to pass the buck to. Mm. So has there been any major lesson that you can recall that over one of those failures, it's really taught you something over the years? Well, you know, I remember, I remember when one day I got served with a class action lawsuit and it felt scary. It Mm. felt like I'm going to lose my business. And I went home and I told my husband, who's now my ex-husband, this news. He looked at me and he said, oh, well, now I guess I can't go to school full time. Like he had no empathy or compassion whatsoever for the fact that what I was going, going through. And so what I learned from that is like in relationships, it doesn't really matter what someone looks like. It doesn't, you know, what matters is are they going to be there for you when you need them? Mm. And um, I mean, that's just something I've learned from that, but there's probably been thousands and thousands of little, little lessons that I've learned along the way. I mean, everything from the practical, like, 
like even now I'm still learning. A couple of months ago, I did a webinar for an organization and I didn't have like a, I didn't have a strategy behind the webinar to how I was going to utilize that to make it have a return on the investment of my time for the webinar. So like, I'm still always, that's like a rookie mistake, right? But <laughs> even 20, even 20 years in, you still find yourself mm -hmm. like screwing up a little bit. But yeah. when you have that strong infrastructure, you know, I always say there's an 80-20 rule. 80% 80 of the time, you you do your best to get it right. I always say, so I have this saying, it's in the book, it's called cleanser clog, which means that, you know, I think we're living in a time where we, we accept that infinite possibilities are available to us. And this is kind of like goes along with the personal development, but we don't always understand that the word infinite possibilities doesn't mean that we get what we want because it's infinite. And that means there's an entire spectrum of things that can happen including all the bad things. So what I've learned is that it's actually the things you do, the choices you make in those thin sliced moments, that's either creating that connection to what you want or driving that disconnection. So how this plays out is like, let's say for example, that I'm on a diet. Well, I can look at an apple and I can intuitively know that that apple is going to nourish my body and that it's good for me. And at the same time, I can look at a Snickers bar and I can know that the Snickers bar is not so good for me and it's going to clog me. So cleanse or clog. You choose things that are going to connect you to what you want. And as long as you can do that about 80% of the time, so 80% of the time you're making cleansing connected choices, you will, you will succeed in the end. Mm. And could you give us an example in a business situation, how you would use that? I can give you an example of every single area in life. So let's say, for example, that... Um, let's say for an example, you have a business goal of, I'm going to use sales because that's just, I think an, an easy one to do. Sure. So let's say you, you have uh, you need a million dollars in sales to meet this goal, but you're watching it and you're really not, you're not making the goal. So what you need to do is you need to look at your day and, and you need to ask yourself, what are all the things in my day that I'm doing in my day, in my week, that in my month that are either getting me closer to a sale or moving me further away from a sale. Mm. And then, for, so that would be the cleanse or the clog. Mm. So like, let's say for example, that um, you're a salesperson, but you're finding that you're spending 50% of your time handling administrative things. So you need to understand like how much of your energy is going towards sales versus how much of your energy is going towards admin. So creating a cleanser clog is just like, saying, how can I, how can I spend my time on lead generation? How can I spend my time on following up? You know, how can I, how can I create a strategy that's going to get me closer to my goals? And then once you've done that, actually doing the things on the strategy, because we all know that we can create a strategy all day long, but then the distractions come in, right? Yes. So I've actually created something that I call the core four and the core four is very exciting to me because it's helping me. It's just another tool sort of in my toolbox 
where the core four is where I'm taking the four most important areas of concentration in my business. And like, these are the things that we're focused on. So it's like taking that goal and then breaking it down to the four areas that are going to make those goals happen. And then anytime energy is going to resources or going to things outside of those core four, then we throw a yellow flag. And we see the yellow flag. So all I have to say to someone in my business is core four. And then they immediately like, okay, I get it. Because you can mm. get distracted by, you know, you yes. can get distracted by the opportunity that like might seem really bright and shiny, but yet it's not really on, it's not really on track to what you really want. Mm. And so again, you know, this is not about perfection, but imagine if 80% of the time you're making choices and you're doing things that are always connecting you to the end game. Mm, very productive. How, how much would your life change? Mm, yeah. Hell yeah. I think it's very outcome focused and it kind of stops you from getting caught up in all the drama. I totally agree. Mm. Yeah. Outcome, outcome focus is, um, that's really a big part of the book too. It's not just because I think that a lot of, a lot of leaders, a lot of influencers talk about like knowing your outcome type of thing, but like the difference is how, do you show people the way to do that? You know, because it's one thing to say, mm. know your outcome, but then it's another thing to say, here is a strategy to keep you on task so that you know that you are always moving your pieces forward towards the outcome. Because that Christine is true momentum. Mm, that's totally true. So let's talk a little bit more about the book. It's called conscious communications, your step-by-step -step guide to harnessing the power of your words. So tell me a little bit about what the concept is and what led you to write the book. So the, what led me to write the book, I believe, is just the, um, the path that I wanted to go on in my life, which was I wanted to go on a more spiritual path or like really personal development after about 15 years started to evolve into spiritual development. And so... I wanted to take all the concepts that I, it was kind of like this combining 20 years of entrepreneurship with 15 years, personal development and saying, what is this really all about? And also, and we haven't talked about this, but I'm a complete science nerd. So I geek out on like neuroscience, just nonstop, like understanding consciousness and the way the brain works gets me so excited. Like it gets me more excited than winning the lottery. So <laughs> taking, so to me, science and spirituality have always been talking about the same thing, but they use mm. different languages. Mm. And so what I really wanted to focus on in the book was using more scientific language of neuroscience to explain concepts that they talk about in spirituality, such as like, um, concepts such as like we create our own reality, you know? So we're on the spirituality side, you might hear someone use terminology like law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's really interesting, but what the heck does that mean? It sounds kind of like mystical and woo woo. But what if I could show you through neuroscience why our brains are built to create our reality, that we're creating our reality and here's how your brain and your subconscious is working to create that flow in your life. And so what I've done is I've really taken a study of neurology and especially the subconscious programming because in our subconscious, Christine, we all have these neural pathways. Have you heard that terminology before? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. 
So every time in order to, I think that we're, we've sort of um, culturally been led to believe that if we have a problem in our life, that we need to go through years of therapy to sort of fix ourselves. But what if fixing ourselves is just as simple as planting a seed of a new neural pathway and then watering and growing that seed until it becomes a full blown out neural pathway? Because the true path to change is really to work on those belief systems. And so one of the ways that I found to change my belief systems was through the power of words. And so like the best example I can give you of this is to say like for 10 years, I really truly wanted to write a book. I mean, it was my total heart's desire. And uh, I would go around and I would say to anybody who would listen to me, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. Mm. And the thing is that words are like a mirror to your subconscious. So whatever words are coming out of your mouth are actually coming out of the subconscious or the unconscious part of your brain. But I, so it's like when you hear me say the words, I want to write a book. It's like, you can see that written on my soul. Mm -hmm. Like I have this purpose to do this, but I have a big problem when the next words out of my mouth are, but I'm not a writer. Because what that's doing is it's also revealing that somewhere in my subconscious, I have developed a belief system that I don't have the capability of writing a book. Like, mm -hmm. have you ever felt, and it doesn't have to be about writing, but have you ever felt that way? Like you wanted to do something, but you just didn't believe that you could achieve it. Mm, that's and it. so, yeah. So like I could go to 10 years of therapy and wait another 10 years to write my book. And I could try to figure out who in the third grade told me that I was a terrible writer, right? Or I could just plant that new seed and I could invest in myself. And so here's another piece of advice that I will give to the young entrepreneurs is that you always have to invest in yourself. Over any other investment, the most important investment you can make is in yourself, whatever that looks like. And I highly recommend investing in personal development because that will pay off more than any other investment that you ever make. Mm. So I invested in myself and I went to a writer's workshop. And at the end of that workshop, you know, I told, I, I wrote a story and I read it to the class and no one made fun of me. No one told me I wasn't a writer, but see now, in fact, it was the opposite. They actually came up to me in tears and told me how inspired and, and, and moved they were by my story. Um, and what's interesting is that my brain now had the evidence that it needed. Mm -hmm. So the subconscious had a new seed planted in it, which gave me the evidence, which could then change my words. And those words would then change my thoughts. And those thoughts eventually changed my belief. And, the, and now all of this together changed my actions and my choices. And then within something like less than a year, I had a book deal with my favorite publisher on the planet, Hay House. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love every part of that. And I just love the idea and the practicality, I guess, around the power of your words, because I think, you know, when you talk about the neuroscience aspect of it, it takes away the whole woo woo of let's do some affirmations. Whereas really, <laughs> <laughs> they do actually work. And when you start actually voicing it and, you know, seeing it written and start believing those words, everything else just starts falling into place. So I love how you've really communicated that really clearly.
I, I love that you bring up affirmations too, because I have, um, I have some about, I have a lot in the book defining affirmations and goal setting and like understanding, like there's a difference between people who achieve and people who don't. And I ta- I break it down to like different types of affirmations, such as gratitude, gratitude as an affirmation, goal setting, speaking affirmations, self-talk. And, you know, the thing is that all of these methods of affirmations, the reason that they work is because you're actually, it's a self-programming method. Mm. Okay. So think of it as, think of it as not necessarily some like woo-woo thing that has to do with law of attraction, but that the repetitiveness actually has an effect on your subconscious brain wiring. And see, that's the important thing. You know, it's like, we all know that we have these like repetitive patterns and habits in our life, right? Well, the reason that we have those is because they're running on a program in our subconscious so that when thing A happens, the result will always be B, C, D, E. Okay. So the only way to change that behavior is to install a new program. Well, we're the ones who get to install the program. We're the ones that get to control what we're running ourselves on. And we do that by using this method that I'm talking about with cleanser clog. And I'm not trying to say it's the only method in the world. Believe me, there are a million things that work. This just works and it's simple. So it's just like the more and the more and the more that you make those choices that are always connecting yourself to what you want. And then you get into the deeper practice of what I call detachment which is mean you have to have the courage you have to be will you have to have the willpower to say no to everything that is not on your path and that might seem like an easy obvious thing to do but it takes practice not. <laughs> so how would you then define willpower how do you get more willpower the more you do it the more you use it the more you prime that muscle so like you know I know for women, it can be terribly difficult to tell someone no, Mm. but you know, and I think that also in that, in that law, law of attraction land, they use the word manifestation a lot. Mm, True. And I think it's an interesting word, but I think it's a misunderstood word. And I think that your, your point of manifestation needs to be by how empowered you are. And how can you really be empowered if you're this scared little girl inside that can't tell people no? Is that empowerment? No. You know, it's like women's empowerment is freaking huge right now, right? And like, I just think that the, the it's like understanding that everything you're creating in your life has this foundation of where is your level of empowerment at? And if you are creating from a disempowered state, what are you creating in your life? Mm. You know, being a victim, bad circumstances, chaos, uncertainty. Mm. Totally perpetuating it all. So we we can't talk about manifestation without talking about alignment. What's your take on (laughs) alignment? (laughs) It's such a buzzword at the moment. Like I know it's been around a while, but it's I can never understand. I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? So the thing with alignment, then it really cracked me up is because it was driving me nuts because all of these teachers and people were talking about being in alignment, but they never said what it was. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Yeah, totally. (laughs) So I was like, well, I want to be in alignment, but I don't understand. And here's the, 
so here's the other one. And this one cracks me up. Just allow. Like, Just surrender. That doesn't, even, that doesn't even make any sense. Like you can't take a type A person and tell them just allow because like I am the epitome of a control freak. Yeah. Okay. okay. Going back to alignment, when I figured it out, it kind it goes right back to these things we've been talking about. It's when you have your thoughts, your words, your actions, your choices all in alignment and moving in the same direction as what you want. So let's say, for example, let's go back to that 20 pounds I told you I was going to lose and um, understand that alignment is eating the apple. Eating the Snickers bar is being out of alignment. Mm -hmm. So anything, so again, like that detachment is so important because you have to detach from the Snickers bar, Mm. put down the candy, Mary, pick up the apple and let go of that of that need to have the Snickers bar. Now, of course, that's a silly example, but here's another example of alignment. So when I was saying that I'm not a writer, that is the words being out of alignment. Mm. But have you ever talked to somebody, their words are in alignment. They're always saying like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But then they never back it up with the actions. Mm. So now the actions are out of alignment. So, and I think that one of the hardest things to get in alignment is the, excuse me, is the thoughts. Mm, Totally. Because the thoughts feel like they're just coming from out of nowhere at times. But what I have found is if you get the words and the actions and the day-to-day choices in alignment, the thoughts will just flow naturally. The thoughts will change on their own if you focus on getting the other pieces in alignment. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I'll share this with you. I haven't shared this a lot, but I have found a big piece of alignment that was missing from my original list, which is forgiveness. I think you can't really be in alignment if you have things in your past that you have not forgiven yourself for because so many of us have grown up in sort of like, I don't know, in the U S like a lot of us have grown up with like one religion or another, which means that you have a belief system that you have to sort of ask for forgiveness. But what I've realized is that it's really our own selves that Mm -hmm. we need to forgive. It's not this like outside force because what happens is that thing you did 25 years ago, is lodged in your subconscious programming. And so really understanding that there's truly nothing you can do that you should not be able to forgive yourself for, even if that means, and I actually recently did this where I made a list of all the unforgivable things that I, that I've done in my life. And I just actively chose to forgive myself. And I realized that that is part of alignment because if you think about it, when you have something that you haven't forgiven yourself for, it's probably because it goes against your own morals and values. Mm. It's out of alignment with your own integrity. So like if I told you the things that I did, you'd probably be like, what? That's no big deal. Right? Because you're not the one judging it. I'm judging it because it went against my own morals and values. And when we step out, you know, the things I'm talking about, it's like, Oh, well, I'm not judging. It's okay for her to do that, but I would never do that Mm. until you did do it. And then now you can't forgive yourself. Right. So I think that this is important and I haven't fully like unpacked it yet, but I am trying to encourage people to understand that you have to really actively forgive yourself because 
not forgiving yourself creates shame and unworthiness. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's completely out of alignment because if in the back of your mind, you don't believe that you're worthy of it or you don't believe you deserve it. How is that in alignment? So yeah, I totally get where your thought pattern went with that. That's cool. So was there anything surprising that came up for you during the process of writing your book? Anything that was, you know, I did have some interesting things happen. It's interesting. And I've talked to some other writers and they, they definitely say that a lot of synchronicities happen to them um, when they're writing the book. And so I certainly had, I mean, the, the path to getting the book published was a crazy ride in and of itself. But I definitely remember one day I woke up with this strong feeling that I wanted to learn the Hebrew alphabet. And that's like a weird, like who wakes yeah. up and just like, I could, I'll learn the Hebrew alphabet today, but it really it's beautiful. <laughs> and it was so strong that I went to YouTube and I, I just like tried to find a way to learn the Hebrew alphabet. And I found this rabbi that had videotaped his Hebrew class and I started listening to the video and at 29 minutes into the video, he said something I'll never forget. He said, there's a word in the Hebrew language that means that is the, the word that everyone in the English language knows as the word that the magician uses when he pulls the rabbit out of the hat. And he said, abracadabra. And he, he went on to explain the way that the Hebrew, you know, is alphanumeric and it has the symbols have meanings and the numbers and all of this. But he said that the words avara meant I will create Kadabra as I speak. Oh. And, and it really gave me chills And it. And like, I understand that the Hebrew language is a complex, intelligent language. Mm. It's different than the English language. It's, it's an intelligence that I don't know where it came from, but there's some kind of power in understanding that there is a creation with our words. And I'm not trying to say some mystical creation because what I really do understand now, and the more that we're learning about neuroscience is that, you know, like, I'll tell you something. I was listening to a talk given by neuroscientist uh, Moran Cerf, and he said that the people that you are in proximity to, that your brains actually get in sync with each other. Meaning, you know how women go on their periods at the same time? Yeah. So there is actually a rhythm to the brain waves that the people that you surround yourself with, you're actually sharing, you're getting in sync with their brain waves. And so, you know, those old sayings that our grandmothers used to tell us like, Oh, birds of a feather flock together. Or, you know, that's so true. It's there's, it's actually true. Mm -hmm. And I find that really fascinating because our brains are more powerful than we can even imagine. And there's this like universal knowledge that we can tap into. And once you can tap into that, you can literally make limitless possibilities happen with your life. And in like, I'm living proof of that because I'm a true rags to riches story, but it doesn't end there. It's only beginning here. Mm. So where I'm, where I've gone is nowhere compared to where I'm going. Amazing. And so what are your thoughts on when it comes to like, I'm a huge believer in when ideas come your way, it kind of is in the same kind of concept of when an idea piques your interest it's almost your responsibility to follow it through with some form of action. Yeah. So 
my problem is I get so many ideas because, so I have this, like, I have these daily practices and you can actually become an, I call myself an idea machine. So you can actually become an idea machine by writing down lists of ideas every day. So James Altucher talks about it in his book, choose yourself. And it's just, he takes a little notepad and he writes 10 ideas a day. And now they don't have to be important ideas. They can be like, 10 idea, 10 places I want to travel, 10 stocks I want to invest in, 10 ways I would fix Facebook, 10, 10 colors I can paint my bedroom. It can be a list of anything. So it's not really important what's on the list because it's not a to-do list. But what is important is it's priming the, it's priming the areas of your brain that actually create ideas. And so like the way that the brain works is like you have problem solving areas of your brain. You have idea generating areas of the brain. And so if you can get into a daily habit of the way that you use your brain, then you will see tons of ideas coming to you. And I definitely think that depending on, I talk sometimes about this frequency scale, which is really like a frequency scale of emotion. But let's say an idea hits you and you feel like a level 100 excited, like you can't wait to jump off the ground running. That's the one you should chase, you know? And I think that everyone has different personality types. I was recently taking a Gallup um, Strengths Finder test online. And my number one strength was, I think it was called like actionable, meaning I'm a, I'm a person that constantly starts on ideas. Well, one of my best friends, his number one was analytical. And so that kind of makes us the perfect match because he thinks about things and someone like me doesn't really think we just jump. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, the details will work themselves out. (laughs) Yep. I'm always about that. Just take the action and figure out what works and what doesn't. (laughs) Another reason why documentation is so important. Mm, Totally. So I need to ask, so tell me a little bit more about your pathway to getting published. You know, I love, love, love talking about that because I find that there's so many people who also have a book inside of them. And, and just because like my own journey was, you know, 10 years of, I mean, I could have had this done 10 years ago. I always like to tell any aspiring authors that, you know, the first thing is you have to write a book proposal. I had, I thought people just sat down and wrote a book. And if it's a nonfiction book and you want to get it traditionally published, the first thing that you do is you write a book proposal. And I'm actually teaching an online class right now called the Aspiring Authors Online Workshop, where it's a very low cost and um, it takes you through step-by-step each section of a proposal and how to write it. And I also give everyone as part of that course um, a free copy of my proposal, which I think is very valuable because if you want to write a book, you know, here you can see an example of a finished proposal and what it, you know, what yours should look like when yours is finished. Cool. So what was the, what was the difficult part about being published and how did you go about getting it through Hay House? I think the difficult part was, um, always not knowing what was going to happen next. You know, like there's, there's nothing that can prepare, prepare you for the moment when you get an email from somebody from around the world, like I got a message on LinkedIn from someone who lives in Cape town, South Africa, who was reading my book and she was telling me how she found it in a little bookstore and that the book was really changing her life. So there's nothing that can prepare you for those kind of moments. Um, there, the hard parts 
were, you know, the marketing, like, I, I think that, um, if I'm being really honest, it's sort of the, the marketing and the social media part. Like I, I think for the younger generation, they're much more intuitively involved in that where for me, it just seems, um, seemed that that was the hardest part. And then yeah. getting published with Hay House, um, that, you know, Hay House has that writer's workshop. Are you familiar? So, and I believe they have one in the UK and I can send you a link if you're interested in ever attending that. But, um, so Hay House has a writer's workshop and one of everyone who goes to the workshop gets to submit a book proposal. And so I did that. I wrote my proposal and I turned it in and I won first prize, which meant I got a book deal. Now what's fascinating about this is that, um, honestly, after I was so pumped after going to that workshop, I actually didn't care if I won anymore because I knew that I was going to make my book happen. Even if I happened to, um, self-publish it. So yeah, I got a book contract. I got an advance. I got the whole, I got the whole deal. It was like, I felt like I won the American Idol of publishing. It was literally that exciting. That's awesome. Very cool. And so tell me, what would you like people who are, who read your book? What would you like them to walk away with? You know, really uh, that it's everything you say, everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action you take, every choice you make in the thinnest slice moments of life is cr seriously creating these connections or driving disconnections. I think that just understanding that is a game changer. Mm. Mm, massive. Okay, cool. So just to finish up for today, I would love if you could impart any advice that you've received over the years or any advice that you would have yourself for any entrepreneurs who are following their passion and purpose. I would say, don't be afraid to fail. And I would also say that, cause I, I did want to talk about purpose that I feel like in today's culture, everyone is very focused on having a purpose, mm. but nobody understands what it is or how you're supposed to figure yours out. Like you got to go through this 15 year hero's journey to uncover your purpose because it's this elusive thing that's hiding behind a curtain. And what I've learned is that truly it's not difficult at all. Your purpose is the things that you are naturally skilled at what your natural talents and abilities are, meaning that are you a writer? Are you a teacher? Are you a healer? Are you a good organizer? You know, whatever those things are, I want you to feed those things because the more that you put those things into practice in your life, whether it's through a job, whether it's through volunteering, whether it's through just a hobby in your spare time, what you're going to do is you're going to build the muscle in your brain to those gifts and make them stronger and stronger until they become the platform or the foundation for whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. And I cannot scream this loud enough that we need to do this more in the world because what we're doing is we're teaching people to overcome their weaknesses and what we really need to do is teach people to feed their strengths. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what yours are, go online, take a free personalities test through like Myers-Briggs or disc profile or whatever you can find and just take the quiz and then just read the results. And I say, take a highlighter. And like, if it gives you 30 traits that are your skills, just highlight the top five. 
Cool. And then just run with that. Just run with it. Just get started <laughs> right now. Get an idea and take action. <laughs> and just one last question. What is your purpose or mission for the next, say, 10 years? So my mission is to change the face of debt collections. I really want to make a dent in the collective consciousness of um, especially the United States, but I would, I would be happy to do it worldwide, that um, I need to change the negative stigma towards debt. And I need to start doing that by changing the way that debt, collect, debt collectors behave. Mm. And so what I'm doing is um, I am doing that by infiltrating the industry through, I mean, just all kinds of ways where I go to events and speak and talk about, you know, talk about how we can help people heal from their debt instead of constantly like berating and, and chasing people that are financially broken. Mm, mm, powerful. Like, cause that would affect so many people in this world. So that's really powerful. Awesome. And so, um, I was really, really want to thank you for your, um, honesty and your openness and your really, I uh, like the, obviously the scientific nerd side of things, but also to the spiritual side of things. So that's really been fantastic having you on the podcast today. And I really want to thank you. I'm going to make sure that I put all the links of everything we talked about together, some links on the, on my posts about uh, where people can find you, where they can find your book. Um, and there's going to be a little free gift as well. Yeah. And I hope that um, since you're in Australia, I want to make sure that you have the correct link that for whatever you guys use, because some people use book depository over there. And I always say that like, if you, if you read the description of the book, you know, you'll know right away whether it's for you or not. And um, yeah, that's my only ask is if you, if you resonate with it, please pick it up and read it. And you can certainly find me on social media. I have a Facebook group called fearless ambition and would be happy to have any of your listeners in the group. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. You've been amazing today. I just want to thank you and I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the next level life podcast. I'd love to hear any takeaways that you've had from today's episode, so please share with me on Instagram and Facebook. And if you feel so moved, please pass this episode on to any friends or family that you feel may benefit from it. Looking forward to speaking with you next week, and here's to taking your life to the next level.